Welcome to the Cybersecurity and Cloud Podcast, the podcast where we learn from cybersecurity experts how to stay safe, private, and secure on the cloud and in code. CSCP is hosted by Francesco Cipollone, your cybersecurity friend with a passion for all things cyber and sharing stories of other professionals with you. This episode is brought to you by the generosity of Phoenix Security Limited. Phoenix helps startups and enterprises solve complex software security supply chain visibility by leveraging the power of correlation and contextualization. Discover how Phoenix Security helps CISO and security engineers act fast, prevent burnout, and implement DevSecOps at the speed of cloud. Phoenix Security. Correlate, contextualize, and act on risk with one click. Let's dive in. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Cybersecurity and Cloud Podcast. I'm Francesco, your host, and today we go back to one of my favorite topics that I never talk about it, that is application security. I have as my guest, Anshuman, and we've been talking quite a while about the way to develop application security program or approach a first 100 days in a company and how to get about it. And I thought, that conversation was particularly useful for everybody. He wrote a couple of blog posts that were very popular about it. And I wrote on the back of that. And I thought, why not share that with the whole community and the whole world? So here you go. So Anshuman is an open source community contributor at DEFCON Talk and a contributors. And he's been in the Valley for quite a while doing application security for quite a while. And he's here to share his thoughts uh, about application security and how to do things better. Anshuman, welcome to the show. Tell us a little bit more about you. Yeah, hi, hi Francesco. Thank you for having me, first of all. I really appreciate it. Yeah, and you know, I, I've been in the information security domain for about 13, 14 years now, worked in both big and small companies. So I have a wide variety of experiences spanning AppSec, cloud sec, infrastructure security, automation, incident response. So I've been fortunate enough to have worked in different companies at different scales and sizes and see different problems and challenges. And yeah, I'm uh, super happy to be here and, you know, happy to share what, what my experience has taught me and hopefully learn something from you as well. <laughs> yes. And in your experience, you know, you've been you've been in the industry for quite a while. You've seen, you know, things evolving in the past years. What is your impression, especially in the last two or three years? What what have you seen in terms of um, paradigm shift from an application security and cloud security? What do you think about the industry yeah. is going? Yeah, that's a that's a very good question, Francisco. So I think off late, especially in the past couple of years, you know, with all major companies either getting breached or, you know, like having some sort of incident, uh, security has become a key organization in pretty much every place, every company, right? Like recently there was the Uber breach, which we all know of. And, you know, so I think these kind of incidents, especially in, in big Fortune 100 uh, companies, sort of shows how important security is, right? Uh, no matter what industry you are in, healthcare, fintech, um, it is it is still uh, like all all an attacker needs is one entry point, and then pretty much that's game over. 
right? Especially when it comes to the PR uh, and the reputation. Right? So in terms of what are some of the changes that I've seen, I think I've just observed that companies are getting more cognizant and there's there's more demand, there's more need for security engineers, more specifically application security and cloud security because folks have started to understand the importance of shifting left, so to speak, right? And they've, <laughs> they've started to value the fact that the earlier you find these security holes and you fix them, the better it is for any company, right? In the long run, you don't have to deal with all the repercussions that, that can happen post-breach or post-incident. So I think that's the shift that I've seen is uh, there, are, there are more openings now. You know, there's uh, there's more demand for security engineers. There's less shortage, right? Like there's hardly people available. So it's, it's good to see that, right? And it, it's also good to see that folks are focusing more on the core fundamentals of how is software shipped and is is, is that uh, happening in a secure way or not, as opposed to feeding security is more like the compliance thing, right? Where you, you ship something and then you just want somebody to go and take a look at it, right? That approach has worked, but in this modern world where things are getting shipped, you know, hundreds and thousands of PRs on a daily basis, that approach almost never works anymore. So that's that shift is is good to see. Brilliant, and I would agree that we see a paradigm shift with COVID, especially hitting with more application being built because the world has needed to go from a day to another to a, to a digital form and the shift to the cloud. But what has done is fundamentally a rush from onto the cloud onto some application, and now we we may be paying a little bit the price with the demand, but also have kind of exacerbated the need of specific as you as you rightfully say security engineers as early as possible to then collaborate with the development team and making sure the fantastic shift left actually happen for real but maybe in, in your career in, in in your early days have you seen the, from a business perspective a buy-in of that approach and if yes or no why yeah no i think so in my experience of having worked in bigger companies, right? Like I worked for Classen, EMC. These are fairly big organizations. They have pretty well matured, you know, like SGLC processes, and they also have pretty well matured security organizations. And there, I mean, obviously these products are used by customers, hundreds and thousands of customers. So there is that like sense of, you know, are the products actually secure or not? Because the customers eventually rely on them with their data, personal information. So I think um, I have definitely seen um, the the C-suites, you know, uh, giving importance to security, at least in the bigger organizations. Now, having said that, I've also worked in smaller companies, like smaller startups. And my experience of having worked in startups has always been a mixed bag, wherein uh, the focus has been on, you know, the business being profitable, the business actually bringing in revenue and and security in, in like some of those places are, are more seen as, you know, as an operational thing. It, it's not really the top priority. Now, there are companies, I'm not saying there's every company treats security the same. There are companies that, that treat security as a key differentiator, right? And uh, they use security as, as as means of like selling their products to customers, right? Um, they, they use security as a differentiator with other competitors and whatnot. But, but for the most part, I, I see security more as an uh, like a support, 
slash operational team or organization, right? Where um, they're just there to make sure the audits are happening, you know, like if, if you're trying to get to HIPAA, what have you. So I think that, uh, that's what my experience has been at least. I, and I can only speak from my experience. But so I think what really matters and what really makes a big difference is having leader or having somebody on the board or have have a seat right uh, where this particular leader it can be the head of security or the CISO or whoever you they can sort of influence the CEOs and CTOs and they can sort of explain what risk is right and how does security play a big role so I think having a good solid leader who has a seat at the round table makes a huge difference right if you don't have that then yeah, it's going to be very difficult to make security a big key factor. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's that's a brilliant point where the, the one you mentioned to have a, a leader that actually understand uh, and can translate that complex information that is traditionally around application security and cloud security uh, that is different than just you know vulnerability and volumetrics because the bots is. Mm that doesn't understand those numbers. They deal with risk, as you rightfully say, the risk of not going to market, the risk of not compliance versus the risk of security overall. And there are many security risks, not just cloud security and application security. But traditionally for a startup, you have a product and it's built in the cloud. So 90% of the issue, unless you are you know, a C or a D where you start getting you know, third-party supply chain management and supplier, it's 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 rooted in there. So having a leader that supports you know security as early as possible, and in a small team is actually a good. It's not that complicated. And you and I mentioned and and did chat before about automation and a few other things. But you've wrote a brilliant blog on you know the evolution of an application security function that is I really appreciated because it wasn't you shall do this and this to the maximum level but it's more of an evolution and I really like that approach. So tell us a bit more about how did you land that kind of mentality mindset and what guided that kind of blog and, and, you know, what's your view on the first hundred days of a, of a security role? Yeah, no, I think, I think that's a, that's a very good question, especially for somebody, you know, who who aspires to be, you know, sort of uh, the person driving or building programs from scratch, especially product or application security. And though the blogs that I've written have mostly been from my experiences of having worked in a couple of startups and how I was able to build a product security program from the scratch with the caveat that, you know, I'm the only one doing it. I, I didn't have a lot of help, right? So uh, I think it all comes down to how do you prioritize how you manage risk, like you said, right? Because the, the goal is to eventually reduce the risk or manage risk in a way that you can communicate to your stakeholders, right? It can be your CISO, your VPs, your senior uh, directors. So I think that, that that's what the mental model really is, is can you build a program in a way that sort of reduces the risk? It does not completely get rid of it. It does not completely fix all the things, but at least it gives you a good picture of, look, these are most critical risks. Let's approach um, some, or let's start to work on some projects that will address them and then gradually make small improvements in your overall product security posture, right? So so that was the idea. Now, 
you know, like it all starts from having a couple of things. First is a good risk management framework that that you can get your stakeholders to agree upon, right? And then you you can sort of hold that risk framework as a means of how do you calculate risk for each and everything you find, and then how do you communicate what needs to be fixed versus what is okay to not be fixed. So I think that's really the first step is having that framework established and agreed upon by all the stakeholders. Some other things that I feel are really important is just the culture in general, right? Like you're trying to you're trying to make sure the products that you build are secure. Now you can't just build overnight. There has to be a cultural shift that you have to influence, that you have to evangelize and you know just kind of be the champion, right? And how how do you actually do that? I think it is all about you trying to be empathetic and understanding how engineers actually commit code and how how does the code get shipped and deployed in production, right? What are the pain points they have? What are the different integration points where you as a security engineer could introduce some lightweight security activity? It can be scanning, it can be a questionnaire, whatever it is, right? So identifying those integration points that doesn't block the engineers from shipping code, but actually enables you know, and it improves the security of, of the entire uh, life cycle is, is really very high level strategy that you can, you can make good improvements on, right? So spoke about risk management framework, spoke about the culture. I think the third is to really get your hands dirty by, by being involved in, in a project, right? Now, it can be an engineering project, it, it can be anything else, but it really helps you understand more about the company, right? The, 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 the people, the processes, the tools, the technologies, all, all the other things, right? Every company is, is different in, you know, in their own ways. Uh, like a company can be using Jira or Confluence or Asana, what have you, right? And whereas company B could be using a different set of tools. So you really have to think about how do you sort of combine these tools in a way that is actually helping the security data, uh, right? Uh, because if you don't do that, and if you uh, try to introduce additional tools, <laughs> which will eventually bring more friction, that almost never works, right? So I think having a good understanding of the people's the processes, the technologies is really the third element in, in how I think about it. And then with, with these three things in mind, you know, you can start building a program you can you, you can basically divide your appsec program into a multi-year plan right where the first year you just focus in establishing some of the foundational stuff like secure sdlc what are the different activities um you know threat modeling code reviews all, all of that stuff and then once you have those established once you start seeing good improvements then you can uh, think about some of the tooling right like scanning sast dash uh, third-party dependencies can all of that stuff, and then once you have that established, you can you can start thinking about how can you proactively sort of uh, introduce gamification, all right, within the company so that uh, the the teams are trying to do the right thing proactively, which will eventually you know show that the security risk has is being reduced, right? So that's yeah, so that's really the framework that I uh, like to think about. And I, I feel like this has worked for me well because I have been able to implement these kind of programs in, you know, like a crawl, walk, run methodology. You start small, you observe, you you have a constant feedback loop, 
and then you keep on iterating on it, right? And then you you do more things. And then while you're doing it, you also grow your team, right? So all of this stuff is is just keeping in mind you're the one person team. Now, as you grow, and, you know, as, as, as you get approval to get more resources, obviously your team is going to grow and then you'll have more help. No, it's, I think it's it's a pragmatic, brilliant approach. It takes the startup approach of an MVP of a program with the foundation and then demonstrating value and then getting customer feedback that is your development community, your business, and then doubling down on that with more technology, more automation, more people and scaling. And I've seen a lot of programs that started really wide and feel really big yeah. <laughs> because you try to approach and try to address everything and every problem and you get burned out very, very quickly because especially in organizations with more than 300, 400 developers, that can be overwhelming. Yeah. And yeah. as an output of this kind of approach, I think you touch point on a very important element that is adapt your program and your mindset to the organizational structure and process procedure told not to force people into your way of thinking or if you're tooling, but actually adapting the delivery of problem in the tools, in the backlog where engineers are actually working and looking at. Because, you know, let, let, yeah. let's be honest, security bugs are just bugs, they're just problems that need to be solved. And, you know, technology depth and security depth are just two engineering depth. They can both live in a Jira, Slack, ServiceNow, Spreadsheet, whatever tool you use, <laughs> ultimately. But as a security professional, sometimes we, we, we lose that information that, you know, we're there to serve the development community, not the other way around. Yes, absolutely. This episode is brought to you by the generosity of Phoenix Security Limited. Phoenix helps startups and enterprises solve complex software security supply chain visibility by leveraging the power of correlation and contextualization. Phoenix platform connects to your repositories, scanners, and cloud, correlates all the information, and provides you with a prioritized list of vulnerabilities that need to be addressed first. Discover how Phoenix Security helps CISOs and developers remove friction and maximize the use of DevSecOps professionals at phoenix.security. Phoenix Security. Correlate, contextualize, and act on risk with one click. Maybe a question for you in terms of, you know, you, you mentioned tooling, scanning, you know, actionability risk, but in all this kind of way and process, what have you seen in terms of pen testing, red teaming and bug bounty? Because that's the traditional little bit, you know, not shift left, but, you know, fixing or verifying in if you're more mature. What's your opinion about, you know, verifying security and and how you have experienced that and what what did work what didn't work yeah no so i think i think the way to approach this or at least what i i think uh we we should approach this is sort of to to not overdo one piece of thing right or and just do all the things but in balance and do it in a way that all of these different scanning and different activities actually complement each other, right? I'll give an example. Hopefully, that'll put more, that'll put things into more perspective. But so let's say, uh, right, you you have an application which is mission critical, right? It it uh, deals with customer information that is extremely sensitive, and you can't just afford to have critical vulnerabilities in this application, right? Now, 
you could be doing a wide variety of things even before the application is deployed, like threat modeling, code reviews. Uh, you could be scanning the, the code base, like SaaS tools, right? You could you could um, sort of deploy this in a staging environment and you could run uh, scanners against it, right? So you could be doing all of that, but that does not give you a guarantee or, or, or uh, give you 100% confidence that application does not have any critical issues right that is just not possible software will have bugs and that's a reality you just have to deal with it what you can do is you can do a you know multitude of things and approach it in a way that you're you're focusing on the right things and you're reducing the risk where it matters the most right that's really important so in other words while you could be doing all of those activities which i just explained you could also have a bug bounty program for this particular application, right? Now, again, starting a bug bounty program has been very controversial and rightfully so, because I feel uh, bug bounties just came in the scene a few years ago and people, you know, really jumped onto it without really understanding the pros and cons, without really understanding the right approach of how do you even start a bug bounty program? Now, I've been on both sides. I've been as a researcher myself where I've reported bugs to a wide variety of companies and I've been rewarded. I've also been on the other side where I've ran programs for big companies and I've seen those reports and I've I've understood the pain points, right? I've, so I've seen the entire process. I think bug bounties is a really good and effective way of getting good signals of, you know, um, like some, and especially finding low-hanging fruits, first of all, and then be verifying that all the HDLC activities that you are doing, right? Like threat modeling, code reviews, whether they actually uh, are giving you value or not. Because if you do end up finding a critical issue via a bug bounty researcher, you know for a fact that there's something broken in your process, right? And then you can improve on it. So I think if you treat bug bounties as as that way of just kind of having some sort of security assurance and verification up, like you mentioned, I think you can, yeah, it is, uh, you can't really compare the value that you can get out of it. Now, how do you go about implementing a bug bounty program is really important because you you have to keep in mind the, the scope, right? Like what is it that you want the researchers to look into and what are the rewards that you're giving out to attract the, the most brilliant hackers, right? Because if you are giving out $50 for an occurring issue, <laughs> I mean, it, you might as well not have that program in the first place. Because I can guarantee, I can for sure tell you that most of the good hackers that you want to be hacking on a program, they won't even be attracted towards it, right? Or their pages, or they weren't just a security scanner. <laughs> yeah, in the right, best case exactly. scenario. So, yeah, yeah. So, so you have to make sure you have the right incentives you you define the right scopes, you're actually getting value out of it, right? So if you run a bug bounty program in this way, yes, you know, it, it, it can be awesome. You can get a lot of value. And then you can follow the bug bounty program by hiring an external third-party hand testing firm that can come and take a look at it, right? So like overall, my the TLDR of here is don't just do one activity and just keep doing that, right? Think about the overall picture Think about the controls that you're trying to implement, right? And and then how do you verify whether the controls are working as expected or not? And how can you use different kind of things to complement each other? So I think that approach will for sure give you, you know, it'll allow you to sleep at night first of all. <laughs> and then you can be fairly certain that, you know, you've had multiple 
folks to look at it. You apply different activities, so you have a good signal of how secure an application is. So that's my thought. No, I, I think I think it's brilliant. The the thing that you said enables you to sleep at night because uh, the additional assurance is probably one of the best signals, but also a way to demonstrate and assure that the board have done enough due diligence not just internally with application security program of work tooling, but also validate. And on the other side, I think I liked one other aspect that you mentioned that, you know, doing it properly as a bug bounty program, because if you give bad reward, you receive a lot of garbage and, you know, a good program of work that could deliver good quality ends up being just noisy and pointless. And the third aspect that I really love about what you mentioned is the scope. So you can't just cover a blanket bug bounty across the board because they are expensive, right? Yeah. You need to pick your battle, pick uh, what's matter most and what are your critical assets? Where is the majority of revenue coming and making that sure that you're not going to get affected by it? Absolutely. Maybe on, on back on the bug bounty, what are the good you know stories that you've seen and the best stories that you've seen around your experience in bug bounty, you know, maybe something funny that yeah. happened or, or something dramatic without naming names, of course. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, <laughs> yeah, this is quite a, I'm trying to think without, you know, uh, divulging too much information. Like I've, I've seen huge successes in a bug bounty program. I've also seen huge failures. I think the, the most funny stories that I, I can think of are, specifically around scope, like scoping issues, right? To, again, to give an example, let's say a company, a, a big uh, public company has started a bug bounty program. And, you know, they, they start off by basically saying, you know, the scope is xyz.com, where xyz is an actual company name. Mm-hmm. Now, they don't really know what, what that entails, right? Um, <laughs> what, what, they, what they hope, that they can achieve from this program is, you know, find all the critical issues in all the domains or what have you, right? But what ends up happening here is uh, these bug only researchers, they run their fancy tools and their chained automation attacks and whatnot, and they find these weird, obscure, like subdomains, you know, let's say com, which the company might might have no idea about, right? And then they realize that, you know, this particular system also on this like obscure subdomain is basically uh, something that is exposed on the internet and that can get you access to the internal infrastructure, right? So those are the kind of stories that I, I, I think are really funny and impactful because they highlight a few things, right? One, a company doesn't really know what the actual attack surface is. They think they do, but unfortunately in the cloud world, everything changes all the time. The engineers, they might be hosting or exposing something on the internet and the security team has no idea about it. Right? So this kind of highlights this big gap where you have to be continuously scanning your external attack surface because if you don't, you are going to end up finding these kind of issues. The like, second thing lucky. is... If you're lucky, you'll find it. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. Because it, it is a competition at the end of the day, right? Whoever finds first gets rewarded. So yeah, you, you have to be fast. You have to be accurate, all of those things, right? Uh, the second thing I, I wanted to mention here was the fact that 
you know, you are promised, you're starting this program and you're saying, look, we're going to reward $5,000 for all critical issues and the scope is xy.com, right? But then you end up realizing, look, we didn't really, we don't really care about this obscure domain as much, right? We we care about the application that our customers use the most. We we want to give $5,000 for any critical issues found on that application only. But then you realize you scoped it so wrong, right? And then you promise the researchers you're going to be giving $5,000 for any critical issues. I think that's the other learnings that you know teams have is you, you have to know what external tax surface and then you have to scope it accordingly as well because you can't be giving out $5,000 for, for critical issues in all the infrastructure that belongs to the company. That's just not possible because you're going to have exposures that you didn't know about you're going to have exposures that you don't really care about as much because the risk is not as much right and then you you you're going to have exposures that are really you know in uh, mission critical applications so i think those two like like sort of stories where uh, the the scope is not clear and then that creates a lot of confusion between the researchers and the programs and then that just kind of spoils the reputation of, of a program because once a researcher goes and tweets about it, I found RCE on this website and the scope said they would give $5,000, but the team is saying they won't because it is not as uh, risky. That, yeah, so that is just a very bad reputational wise, right? And then just the fact that if you don't know- It's slightly bit illegal. And a tiny bit illegal, yeah. I guess. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. I think uh, the, yeah, I, for sure, because there's certain laws, like, again, I, I am uh, no expert here, but I know there are certain laws within the United States that prohibits anybody to sort of do any sort of hacking or scanning, right? Unless you get explicit approvals. I think that is changing where uh, there's something called safe harbor law or something, right? Where companies are promising the researchers that they won't pursue any lawsuits, legal lawsuits against researchers if, if they, you know, sort of just kind of be ethical about it and they uh, disclose anything is uh, fine. So yeah, that has been my experience. Um, again, I have also seen programs that, have, that are really successful, um, but I've also seen programs that just kind of start and then st- close out in like six months because they don't have any <laughs> money left, right? Right. Yeah. And I, th- I think you touched on a very important point that is scoping is, is a delicate balance between scoping what's important, but also, you know, identifying lateral movement or new things that pop up that you might not be aware is, you know, yeah. you're trying to tell a hacker how to hack without spending too much money. <laughs> it's a bit yeah, of a challenge. Yeah. But I think you touch on a point that was particularly significant. As long as you do the legwork to actually continuously scanning your external service, you know, you prioritize the work. So. It has a time in place, bug bunting, red teaming, or pen testing, and a scope. But you need to make sure that you do all the other activities. Otherwise, you might do you might it might be too expensive to actually just finding things from a pen test, and then you have to solve it because at that point in time, where you yeah. identify critical vulnerability is known, even there are rules and regulation. But then at the other time. You know, you have to fix it and you have to go back to the development team and they have to remember which line of code did we did yesterday and where did we put that library? I don't remember what I ate this morning. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, you know, I, I just uh, 
thought of another example where I've seen smaller companies start off with a bug bounty program. They start off with building a red team, right? Without building any sort of product security or security assurance kind of activity. What ends up happening in those cases is you get a lot of value initially from your bug bounty programs, for your, from your red team. You'll find a lot of criticals. But then what happens after that? You, you have to get them fixed to in order to continue getting value from, from them, right? But then how do you get fixed if you don't have like, you know, a good solid DLC program defined, right? Like, it, yeah, so you, you need to think about the first principles, right? Yes, you can get value from them, but you don't just want to do it once ad hoc, right? You have to, you should, you should, you should be doing it on an ongoing basis, but then in order to support that, you need all these matured processes being defined. So, yeah, I think that's the mindset that I, um, I, I've seen kind of different from different companies. So some companies are successful, like some are not. Great. And I think that that brings up back to the original point that you said a good security leader understand the time and place where things happen. Mm-hmm. And as, as that, that's why I really like the blog and the evolution. You don't put, you know, the pen test in front of the card. You actually put it at the end of the card so that you do all the stuff that prepare you to deal with defects yeah. and, def- and, and, and incidents in the right way. And then you can really have a powerful, you know, application security or vulnerability management program and across the board, and, and I use vulnerability management across the board because I think we misuse the term vulnerability management. I think we, we think vulnerability management equal patching, where it's not anymore like that. Oh, it's, right? it's very different. Yeah. 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 I think, I think the, the, the industry is changing, is, is getting to the grapple of um, the new and modern way we build application, the ownership shift that is not anymore infrastructure team that look at uh, for laptops application security team that fix bugs you know it's all into one and everybody's responsible for the full stack so yes. i think organization are changing but before we close off with these thoughts um do you want to leave our audience with a positive message we have this tradition that we don't like to yeah. end up in the doom and gloom and i think this was a really positive conversation so in itself the podcast is a positive message but uh, leave our audience with a positive closure point yeah yeah absolutely you know um so so like you said francisco i think this this was a good conversation i don't think the situation is doom and gloom at least you know from from the application security standpoint i think things are improving i think companies are heading towards the right direction they're hiding the right folks, right? And and folks know what is the right thing to do, right? So yeah, I think to to end this, I would just say that, um, you know, just be empathetic, because if you start thinking about how an engineer is, uh, you know, lives their day to day life, and what are some of the struggles they have, and how you can actually help them, that will help you gain empathy, right? And then. If you take this empathetic attitude towards solving these security challenges, I think you're going to have far more success in like so, any sort of program, whether it is product, application, cloud security. If you don't have empathy, you know, you're basically going back to where it was where, you know, folks just kind of hate security folks, they're intimidated <laughs> by them. They think whenever you 
they hear from security folks it's always going to create problems it is about problems so i think that is changing for sure at least i've seen that and i think uh yeah if just folks kind of um, build empathy and sort of approach it that way it it will end up in a positive uh, note for sure brilliant anshuman thank you so much for bringing that out i think empathy preventing burnout and preventing conflict i think is really important in our industry on the positive notes you know we've seen the organization changing the shift left initiative the security champion initiative the empathy initiative i think is really started to take place and delivering the result that it promised at the very beginning but i really appreciate you coming on the show you know i thought we had brilliant conversation outside and it had to be shared with our audience a last point for our audience where they can find more of you where they can follow your blog or the resources where you talk where they can see you on the web yeah you can uh, find my blog uh, at anshumanbhartia.com um i can uh, provide the link you can also find me on twitter uh i go by anshuman_bh and yeah feel free to reach out i'm more than happy to share ideas collaborate security is something i'm really passionate about so you know always happy to have those conversations thank you so much and thank you for contributing also to open source project that are the backbone of a lot of security program especially in startup way and is one of my pet peeves to actually encourage the use of open source more and more and to contribute back yeah. and give back to the community thank you so much for coming on the show everybody start doing your program and application security in step in baby step don't throw bug bounty to everything and stay safe out there <laughs> thank you so much thank you francesco thank you bye bye we hope you enjoyed today's episode please leave us a review on apple podcast and post it on social media tagging cybersecurity cloud podcast for a chance to win a $100 amazon gift card discover other episodes at www.cybersecuritypodcast.com 